The reading is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 25. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send their greetings. Grace be with you all. Amen. Hi, everyone. A good conclusion is really hard to pull off. Uh, You might know of the film The Lord of the Rings. It's an epic trilogy of heroic drama, thrilling battles and moving friendships. The final film won a ridiculous 11 Oscars, but the ending is really bad. Uh, The the enemy is defeated and the heroes embrace. All fades to black. Uh, the, the, uh, the heroes are rescued, and again, all fades to black. Then, then fr- friends are reunited, and everything fades to white this time. This must be the end. Uh, no. The king is crowned, and everyone celebrates. Still not over. Everyone goes home. Uh, no, not the ending yet. One person goes away, and then one of the heroes goes home again. And only then, after seven endings, does the film finish. And uh, I think we know that some sermons can be like this too, don't we? A preacher saying, in conclusion, doesn't... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A preacher saying, in conclusion, doesn't necessarily mean the end is near. Uh, One of my preacher friends once admitted to me that he really just doesn't know how to end his sermons. So like a pilot who doesn't know how to land the plane, he just circles and circles the runway until both congregation and preacher run out of fuel. But thankfully, the author of the Hebrews doesn't have this problem. The end of his sermon doesn't tail off. It finishes with the same skillful and powerful writing that he's used throughout. Uh, Actually, incidentally, this is one of the reasons why I back Martin Luther's guess that Hebrews is written by someone called Apollos. Uh, Apollos was one of the fellow workers of Paul and Timothy. He was known as a learned man who spoke with great fervor. And in Acts chapter uh, 18, verse 28, he even says, or it even says, he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Anyway, that's only a guess, and it doesn't particularly matter. But whoever it was really knew how to write a conclusion. A good conclusion brings resolution. It wraps the whole thing up, and it ties together loose ends, revisiting overall themes. A good conclusion is impactful as well. It should be a moment of transition between truth spoken and truth lived. 
Um, The sermon ends, but the content continues in the lives of the listeners. And this is exactly how Hebrews finishes. Here we have three final words to wrap up what we've heard and transition from truth read to truth lived. The first final word. In verses 20 to 21, we have a final blessing. Let me read those verses. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the final blessing. But first, let's think about the one who is called to act out this blessing. It's the God of peace. How good it is for these readers, the original readers, and for us to be reminded that he is the God of peace. He is the God who brings peace to the anxious. He's the God who makes peace out of war. When that, that knot in your stomach begins to tighten, when that hot, twisting tension rises in your temples, tell yourself this. Say, say it to yourself out loud, write it down, stick it on post-it notes around your room. My father is the God of peace. Suffering causes many to, to fall back, to draw away. But when we know that our father is the God of peace, that's going to cause us to draw close draw near. What else about uh, the one who will enact this blessing? Well, this God is the one who brought back our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The Lord Jesus is risen and ascended. He now sits at his father's right hand as king of the universe. So we can be in no doubt that when we call on our God for blessing, we have a representative, a living representative in heaven who is on our side. Did you notice that? He is our Lord Jesus. He's not just the Lord Jesus. He is our, he is your Lord Jesus if you're trusting in him. So through him, through this representative standing in heaven who is on our side, who is alive and well, our God stands ready to bless us. Let's keep going in this uh, verse 20. Perplexingly, it says that Jesus' resurrection happened through the blood of the eternal covenant. Again, this is revisiting one of the major themes of Hebrews. The blood of the old covenant sacrifices, that couldn't take away sin. And so it could never free anyone, any of us, from the shackles that held us to death. Generation after generation of mortal priests who all had an expiry date were proof of this. But when Jesus died through Jesus' blood, Jesus' death on the cross, there was a sacrifice that was accepted. And the fact that he was raised was proof that that blood, that sacrifice, that death was accepted. And because his sacrifice was accepted, he was raised. His blood, his sacrifice was accepted. And remember this. If you don't think you deserve God's blessing, 
If you don't think that God would ever bless someone like you, if you feel like there's this one sin that you're always carrying with you, that's chasing you around, that's always at the back of your mind, if you're trusting in Jesus, that sin has been removed as far away as the east is from the west through the blood of the eternal covenant. God will bless you, not because you deserve it, but because of Jesus' sacrifice. And who is this risen Jesus? This verse says that he is that great shepherd of the sheep. How good that we don't only have a great high priest in heaven who sacrificed and speaks up for us, but we have a great shepherd in heaven who cares for us, who will guide us, protect us, and look after us. All these descriptions piled one on top of the other. They're there to encourage us to expect God's blessing. He is the God of peace. He is our risen Lord Jesus. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. These invitations, these descriptions, they're invitations to reach out our hands like expectant, excited children and just say, Father, bless me, because we know what he's like. Now, what is this blessing? May he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Those two phrases, doing his will and what is pleasing to him, they're parallel. They refer to the same thing. But what is God's will? What does please God? I mean, we could think that of that in a very general sense, but as well, what has God wanted throughout this book of Hebrews? What does God desire in the people who are reading this? Their perseverance, a faith that endures, a faith that is in it, not just for an initial sprint, but for the whole marathon from start to finish. That is God's will. That is what pleases him. But of course, the problem is we don't have the resources. We don't have the resources to finish this race, so we can't please him, so we can't do his will. We are out of breath with scraped knees and painful blisters. Every single turn on our race, the, the summit never seems to get any closer. Every single time we stumble, it takes more and more effort to get up, doesn't it? We can't do it. Do you feel that? Yes, heaven is our goal, but those side alleys, they're so tempting. Heaven is our goal, but it's so tempting just to sit down and rest. Do you feel that? Do you feel like you can't do it anymore? Good, good. It would be far more dangerous to arrogantly continue on our own. Alone, you can't resist that temptation. None of us can. Alone, you can't reach the end. None of us can. We need this blessing. We need this God to equip us and work in us. This is the partnership that is going to keep us going. The writer prays that God would equip us. That means that 
This God is offering us the spiritual resources we need so that we can keep going. If you can't see how you're going to keep going, this God offers you the faith that sees the future before it arrives. If you can't say no, this God offers the self-control to resist temptation. And the writer prays that God would work in us. This, this goes even further. This goes beyond providing spiritual resources to actually being the one who works through us. This is God's strength working through our weaknesses. This is him doing impossible things through us. It's the testimony of everyone that reaches the finish line. I remember... When I was a teenager, I went to a 96th birthday party. It was wild. And I, um, I just been, remember being struck by the faith of this old saint. And so in a quiet moment during the party, I asked him, how have you kept going all this time? I think I was expecting some kind of eloquent response or some really deep wisdom. But all he said was, God did it. I was really disappointed by that answer at the time. But it's so, so true. This is what it takes to reach the end. This is what it takes to please God. We've got to live every single day like those expectant, excited children, hands outstretched, just pleading, Father, bless me. Father, equip me. Father, work in me. That's the only way any of us will ever please him. That's the only way any of us will get to the end. And you know what else? When we get to the end, none of us will be able to say, oh man, I was awesome. I got here because of me. None of us will be able to say that. It will all be to Jesus' glory. We will all sing, to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, Still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's the final blessing. Secondly, a final urging. Verse 22. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I've written to you quite briefly. In describing a letter that's taken us from January through to July, I wouldn't necessarily use the word brief. Um, but the writer seems to be implying that there's way more that he could have said. There's more detail that he could have talked about. There's more instructions that he could have given. In fact, he's focused on what is most essential for these believers and for us. And notice it's been a word of exhortation. Although, of course, this is a written letter, the writer wants us to imagine him standing up here behind the lectern, up on the stage, pleading with us face to face, urging us to listen to his message. And this is a message to bear with. This is a message to bear with. That is, we shouldn't dismiss it. We shouldn't dismiss it because it's too complicated. I don't know about you, but um, I found Melchizedek a, a, a few months ago particularly tricky going. But we shouldn't let um, chapter 5 verse 11 be true of us. It is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. 
And nor should we dismiss this message because it seems too harsh. There have been so many warnings throughout this letter, warning after warning. But we shouldn't ignore them just because it sounds serious. We definitely shouldn't ignore warnings like chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? But bearing with this message means a lot more than just not dismissing it. It means receiving it, carrying it, taking it with us. Just for a moment, allow me to um, take you inside the mind of a preacher. Everyone's different, but my pattern is normally about a week and a half before I preach, I will read the verses for the first time. And at that point, I'm not thinking about preaching. I'm not trying to dissect it. I'm not trying to think of applications. I just want to receive it. I just want to take it in. And then the Monday before I preach, I'll spend the whole day just praying and working through the passage, word by word and paragraph by paragraph, phrase by phrase. And by the end of the day, I want to grasp the message that God has for us this week. I don't make up that message. I'm just receiving what is in God's word. What is he saying and why is he saying it? And then it takes the rest of the week to write it out. But the point is that all week I'm carrying this message from Monday through to Sunday. And I'm weighed down by it. I'm thinking about it. Hopefully I'm trying to apply it. But then Sunday comes and it's your turn. Sunday comes and and I just pass it on. And now it's your message. You're not meant to kind of just leave it under your chairs like a service sheet when you go home. You've got to carry it with you now. You've got to bear with it. You've got to take responsibility for it and start applying it for yourselves. When you exit through those doors, you're meant to carry the message with you. And that's what the writer is urging us to do with Hebrews. So what is and what has been his word of exhortation? Simply this. I think the whole message of Hebrews can be boiled down to this one phrase. Remain faithful because Jesus is greater. Remain faithful because Jesus is greater. Bear with it. Don't dismiss it. Carry it. Take it with you. Remain faithful because Jesus is is greater. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priests. What he has to offer is greater, a greater sacrifice for sins, knowing God, a certain welcome into the eternal city to come. From start to finish, Jesus is greater. And you know, the Christian who really grasps this message becomes extraordinarily resilient. The Christian who grasps this message can face any obstacle. Storms may rage, winds blow, waves crash, but you will hold the course. Tears may flow, friends betray, tragedies fall, but you will hold the course. The world may laugh, enemies mock, and society may shun you, but if you grasp this message, you will hold the course. So, Take this message in, bear with it, carry it, don't dismiss it, let it go down deep and take root, preach it to yourself, remain faithful because Jesus is greater. When you know Jesus is greater, everything else just 
falls into insignificance by comparison, even our struggles. A final blessing, a final urging, and a final greeting. Verses 23 to 25. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. It's tempting to kind of skip the ending because don't all the New Testament letters kind of end the same? But then maybe there's a good reason why they all end the same. The mention of Timothy, again, it raises the probability that the person who wrote Hebrews was in kind of Paul's circle of fellow workers. But more importantly, it was good for these readers to know that Timothy had been released from prison. Notice that the writer says he wants them to know. That's because he knows that it's going to do them good to hear it. They, they care for Timothy. They care that he would be released. With all the struggles going around them, it would probably do them good news. It would do them good to hear some good, positive news. And not only is he released from prison, but he's actually on his way. And the writer himself also, Lord allowing, wants to be with them as well. This writer isn't satisfied with letters. He wants to be with them face to face. The personal touch continues because although this letter was addressed to a specific group, the Jewish Christians, the writer wants his greeting to go further. He wants it to be passed on to the leaders and all the Lord's people, not just this specific group. And then finally, um, the Italians add their greeting too. I'm afraid I'm hurting too much uh, still to say anything more about Italy getting the final word. But here's the point. The family of God cares when one person suffers. They ache when they're apart and they long to be together. Here we are at the finish line of Hebrews and what do we find? We find the family of God showing that they love one another. Because that's the only way any of us are going to get to the finish line. To get to the end, we need this. We need the Lord's people loving one another. I started with a nerdy Lord of the Rings reference, so I think I'm going to double down. The Lord of the Rings is a story of a long journey to destroy a ring. It takes place in a world where evil is, is rising. The powers of evil are growing, and the main way that that shows itself is through estrangement and isolation. So the dwarves and the elves, they don't get on, and the hobbits are hiding from the men, and the old alliances have all broken down. But this rising evil is defeated by friendship. So it's the Fellowship of the Ring, a group of different races coming together to go on this journey. It's the Fellowship of the Ring that gets the main character Frodo and his ring all the way, well, halfway along the path. Once they get halfway, um, Frodo realizes that there's this great risk to his friends. And so he wants to go it alone. And he says to his best friend, go back, Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam replies, of course you are. And I'm coming with you. I like that. And then right at the end, staring up at the final mountain, which just seems completely insurmountable, 
Frodo collapses under the weight of the ring that he's carrying. But beautifully, Sam says to him, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Their friendship gets them to the end. And to reach the finish line, we can pull all of the things together now. We need to stretch out our hands to receive the blessing of this God. We need to carry the message of Hebrews with us, remain faithful because Jesus is greater. And we need this. We need friendship. We need the fellowship of God's people. As we've been reading throughout this letter, encourage one another daily. And then later, not giving up meeting together. And then again, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run. We need this. So invest in good Christian friendships. And maybe even more importantly, invest in being a good Christian friend. In conclusion, we started reading through the book of Hebrews way back in January. The nights were dark. We just had a Christmas that was just bizarre. We couldn't sing. We were in the middle of a second wave and we weren't even sure whether we should keep the church open. But here we are. Fear, isolation and disunity could have derailed us. A thousand temptations could have overcome us. But half a year later, we are still going. We are still here. And we shouldn't take that for granted. We have persevered simply because of God's grace. And by God's grace, we will continue to persevere. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for the blessing of the last few months in Hebrews. Father, we pray that every single one of us would walk away with that message ringing in our ears. Remain faithful, because Jesus is greater. Lord, we pray that you would keep us going. And we pray that you would help us to keep one another going. In Jesus' name, amen.